Thank you, church. Thank you for coming together to honor our Lord. Thank you for singing out. And thank you for the faith that you have in your heart. You know, I depend on you to be a believer. You depend on me to be a believer. We get encouragement from one another. I, I, I know there's lots of reasons why we gather together like this, but that's one of the things that I think is part of God's plan is that, is that we, our faith reinforces the faith of each other. So I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you. Um, week and a half ago, I saw my eight, eight and a half year old grandchildren getting on a roller coaster at Frontier City. I saw videos of that. And uh, that brought back memories of when I was eight and even nine. I was a big old chicken. Uh, it may, I, I can't remember if it was at Frontier City or the old Spring Lake uh, amusement park, but they had a small roller coaster, not, not even the big roller coaster, just the small roller coaster. And uh, I had the hardest time getting up my courage to go on that thing. I would get in line and then I'd back out and get in line and back out. And, and then finally I got, I got on it and I sat in the middle, you know, in the middle seats. Somehow I thought that'd be safer. And we went around at one time, scared me to death. And as, as we were coming in to the place where it stopped, and I'd watched it, you know, it'd go around one time, stop, let everybody out. I said, we're stopping now, right? I shouted that out to the controller. And he gave me this evil grin. Now, this is how I remember it 60 years later, 55 years later. He gave me this evil grin and said, oh, you want to go around again? And he... I remember that so, so vividly. Now, eventually, I got up my confidence, and I was able to do it. And then I loved roller coasters until my inner ear gave out. Now I can't ride them anymore again. John has written us these letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, to a church that has a lot of externals pressing onto it, little, little church body, like our, but lot, probably smaller than what we have right here in this building. They've had people that have abandoned them and run off and started their own sect, you know, and are looking back down on them and, and, and not loving them, uh, really treating them with, uh, with disdain. And that's going to shake their confidence. It's going to make them afraid. Are we on the right track? Are we, are we doing what we need to do? They are situated in a larger culture that has a lot of forces arrayed against what they have come to believe. The Jewish religion itself, many of the Jews didn't convert to Christianity and accept the, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and they opposed this new Jesus movement. And that, that was the first wave of persecution against a lot of Christian groups. And then Roman society slowly kind of got on that bandwagon with leaders like Nero and others and really put pressure on the Christians to say, you're, you're not just crazy, but you're bad for believing what you believe. You're bad citizens. You don't, 
you don't respect our religion and that makes you a traitor, that makes you treasonous to our way of life and, and, and we don't trust you and we don't know what to make of you. And so there was, there was all of this pressure on these Christians to say, are, are we even on the right track? There was this, this pressure to, to cower in fear. And so John has written these three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, to kind of give the Christians some tools to realize we are the ones who have confidence in this world. We are the ones who have seen the actual future of where the world is going. He says, look, right back in chapter 1, we we studied this way back when we started this series. He says, look, we apostles, we saw Jesus. We heard Jesus. We touched Jesus. We are telling you things that are as real as the realest things you know. Jesus is reliable for you. Don't let the world get in your head and take away your confidence and joy in Jesus. It's reliable. John says in that same first chapter, you abide in God's light that he has sent through Jesus Christ. You just, you stay there. I didn't mean you ever fail. He says, anybody who says they never sin, they're just lying. They're lying to themselves. You know you sin. I know I sin. He says, but if we're not supposed to keep on sinning, we're supposed to fight against it. But if you sin, we have Jesus Christ. We're abiding in Jesus Christ. His blood, and it's a continual process, it sounds like. His blood is always on the job, washing us and purifying us in God's sight. Don't let the world get in your head and take away your joy and your confidence. Don't let it cause you to back off of the faith that you have. Here in the last chapter of John, which is where I actually want you to be looking, John chapter 5, John kind of pulls together a lot of these strands. And he says, you have come to the one place of life there is. The one source for you to have life in the entire universe is where you have come when you have come to Jesus Christ. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is where the life is. The Son of God grants us the right to have, to live with God forever, to have eternal life, to live with God forever. But what's interesting about what John says is, eternal life is not then, it's some future point. The Son of God grants us the right to live with God forever. To have that eternal life starting now. 
Your eternal life doesn't start when you get to the kingdom of heaven, when the resurrection takes place. Your eternal life starts the moment that Jesus Christ washes your sins away in the waters of baptism by his powerful blood. You have it right now. And John says that gives some really tangible benefits that we live as a part of our life right now. Not one day I'm going to be fixed, one day I'm going to be powerful, one day I'm going to be good. Right now, he says. He says, you're not going to be perfect. Jesus is the one who's perfect. He's got us. But you're going to be better starting now. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has given you this life, this eternal life, and it's in you right now. There's a disturbing thing he claims. Look down in verse 19. If you've got your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5, look down at verse 19. We know that we are children of God, he says. We, we followers of Christ, Christ has made us children of God. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is very close to the end of the whole book. And he reminds us of this devastating fact. The world around us, Satan has his hooks sunk all the way in and has had his hooks in the world for a long, long time. We know that the whole world is under the control of Satan, of the evil one. It doesn't take us long to realize, yeah, that, that tracks. Wars and all the stuff that causes wars, greed, hatred, envy, rivalries, lies. Disease, breakup of families, natural and man-made disasters. Satan has his hooks in really deep in this world. And John doesn't want you to just focus on the scary Satan, the evil one. He says, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that's real, and we live in that world, but we are something different. We are children of God. You don't deserve to be a child of God. I don't deserve to be a child of God. But Jesus made us into children of God. And yes, the world is in a mess. But we aren't. Because we are children of God. And there's an implication for that. If you're a child of God, if you have been given eternal life starting right now, there's an implication from that. Look up at verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, and follow with me for about four verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born 
of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well, loves Jesus as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. John does both of those things. He says, you want to know if you love God? You love his children. You want to know if you love his children? You love God and do what God says. In fact, this love, this is love for God. Keep his commands. And his commands, the commands of God, are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Go back to chapter 2 where John says, oh, you, you young men, you're strong. You've overcome the evil one. You children, you're secure. You old men, you've been forgiven. He just, he goes through all these different images of what victory is and he says, yeah, we live in a messed up world, a world that Satan is actually torturing as an act of rebellion against the rightful ruler God. We live in that world, but we aren't being defeated by that world. In fact, the truth that you live by, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is coming back to rule the universe. The truth that you live by, if you're a Christian, is overcoming the world, John says. That faith that you have is overcoming the world. That's a mind bender. If you, if you meditate on that, you begin to realize what he's doing. This little church that feels so overwhelmed externally, he says, You've got that backwards. Satan is on the defensive. You are the invaders. God is using your faith, your confidence in Jesus Christ to push back the power of Satan bit by bit. We are not hunkered down here, you know, I hope, the world doesn't hurt me too much, and I hope it doesn't trip me up with sin. We are here as God's foot soldiers to put down the rebellion of Satan and to help Jesus Christ restore the rightful order of the world. That's what's going on. Your faith is conquering the world. Now, it doesn't look like that to us a lot of times. That's okay. John says that's the truth. And you need to begin to live realizing that that's the truth. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Satan is torturing this world to defy God. We are here to take the world away from Satan. That's what God is using Christians and these little Christian congregations like Wilshire to do. Bit by bit, as God gives you strength in your little circle of influence with your little power that you have, you say, I can't fix everything that's wrong with the world, 
But this little bit right here, this isn't yours, Satan. You got a Jesus person to deal with here. And I'm going to spread the will of God in my circle because my faith is overcoming the evil that you're trying to do. That God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The verse that I kept flashing on as I thought about this is what Jesus said after in Matthew and when Peter said, you know, he said, well, who do you guys think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not withstand it. And, and I misunderstood that image for a long, long time. I thought it meant we'll be safe inside our little church building and, and you know, other people will be in trouble, but, but hell can't get in here. But that's not what it says. It says we're the army that's pounding on the gates of death and hell. And their gates can't withstand us. Now, if you say it doesn't feel like that to me, yeah, it didn't feel like that to them either. John is saying that's the objective truth of who we are. And the more you live in that truth, the more confidence you have tomorrow to act like that's true and to win some victories for Jesus, your Lord. That's just the way it is. Look down in verse 18. I'm sorry, I'm just skipping you all around the chapter. You probably should go back and read it in order. That would be good for you. But I'm skipping all around it. Look down in verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Oh, that's good. You need something to help your confidence? You need to meditate on verse 18. Anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe. The evil one cannot harm them. What do you mean cannot harm them? The evil one puts you on a cross, Jesus. The evil one eventually puts the author of this letter on the Isle of Patmos in exile. What do you mean the evil one cannot harm you? The evil one can do lots of bad things. But it cannot touch that proclamation. The world is in the control of the evil one. We are children of God. Can't touch that at all. The evil one cannot take away the basis for your hope. God's son living in us gives us immunity to the hopelessness of the sinful world. Now that hopelessness is another thing that comes knocking on our brains trying to get in to take away our confidence and to fill us with fear instead. And, and, and you know people who give in to that hopelessness. I just, 
I am an addict. You know, I, I, I am an adulterer. You know, I, I am a liar. Taking these sins that have been committed and taking them all the way into the heart to say, that's what I am now. Never going to be anything better. I am that. And the word of God says you are a child of God. And don't let anything take that away from you. If you say you never commit sins, you're just lying to yourself and to us. But the power of Jesus Christ is able to wash your sins away. You just don't let the hopelessness of sin knock you away from Jesus Christ. Stay in the light of Jesus Christ. Abide in the truth that you have heard. I'm just echoing all the things, the ways John said this throughout the letters. You stay where you are. Don't let this fear dissuade you. And that hopelessness of the world cannot harm you. You don't have hope because you're strong enough. You have hope because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. That's the reason. And, and the evil one can't hurt you where it really matters. Look at verses 14 and 15. Chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. John says, one of the bases for living in this confident child of God existence is to realize that your prayers are privileged. God's a loving father to everyone on earth. And he hears prayers all over the world, even by non-Christians. But your prayers are privileged. They're privileged. And they're privileged not because you deserve it but because you are a child of God. Jesus made you that. Jesus granted you that. And so when you pray according to God's will, like Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. When you pray that kind of prayer, God listens. And usually God is already moving. To answer your prayer. You don't get the answers you expect. Always. And if you pray selfishly. We're warned in James. That's, that's not even a real prayer. Because it's not your will. But when you pray. God listens to your prayer. The prayers of those who believe in God's son. Have power beyond what we imagine. Look at verses 5 through 9. 
Who is it that overcomes the world? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's your faith. That's your badge. You do not let anything push you off of your confidence in that faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This, Jesus, is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony. God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony, which he has given about his son. That's a bizarre image. There's a bunch of strange things connected to that passage. I'm just going to tell you what I think the big takeaway is. John is saying, I know the world puts up a scary show. The ride you're on feels terrifying. Feels like at any moment, the world is going to dash you and destroy you. That's not real. Here's what's real. Your faith in Jesus Christ is conquering the world. It's already conquered the world. We're just mopping things up. That's real. How can I keep my confidence in that? Well, John says, God actually took the witness stand, put his hand up, and testified. He says, Jesus came by the water. I think he's talking about the baptism of Jesus, which I think, John the Apostle saw. Jesus, baptized in the Jordan River, comes out of that water. And the voice of God from heaven says, this is my son. And the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and rests on him. I think John saw that. John says, when I talk to you, I'm an eyewitness. Things that I saw, I touched, I heard. God testified to who Jesus was through the water and through the Spirit. He says, it's not just through the water either, through the blood. John was a witness there, we know that. When Jesus hung on the cross and his blood was shed, And he finally gave up his spirit about three in the afternoon. God's world cried out with God's testimony. The sky was dark. The earth shook. And that separating veil in the temple, that's my favorite detail, the separating veil It keeps us away from God's presence. That separating veil ripped from top to bottom. God testified in the blood of Jesus. And if that's not enough for you, three days later, God overrode that crucifixion 
and brought Jesus back in the resurrection life that we all enjoy. God put his hand up and he bore witness, he gave testimony. John's done an interesting thing because he says that's objective, that's out there in history. I saw those things happen. I'm here as a witness to you to tell you what I saw. But if you're a Christian, all three of those elements have happened to you personally. The water. Baptism, just like Jesus was baptized. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized. Taken into that watery grave and raised up with a life that's not your life anymore. It's bought with Jesus' blood. The blood of Jesus cleansing you from sin in that water of baptism. And when you come up, God, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus' cleansing blood has made it possible, God actually puts his spirit into you. That's our testimony that's touched each one of us personally. You know, we read the Bible and we study the Bible as we should. But the reason why this book is different for us than all other books is because that spirit that's in us is in this book. And, and we know when this book is communicating to us what we should be, what we should do, how the world should change, how we should help other people, this book and God's spirit are testifying to us. We are children of God. Brothers and sisters, it's a scary world. still is a scary world. There's still a lot more to do. You don't have the power to change the world, and sometimes the world will get in your head and make you say, well, what's the point? I'm just going to give up. That's the lie that John is trying to help us overcome. Jesus Christ has won the victory. Your faith in Jesus Christ allows you to participate in that victory. Never, never, never let fear strip you of your confidence. If you need to respond to the invitation, if you need prayers or if you are ready to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.